And welcome back to Protein Ramblings. It's Nero. It's Naomi. It's Mark. Hello. It's Dungeons and Dragons. Hey. Yes, we're back with a new series. It's going to be a little bit longer than Visionaries because there's more of it. Yeah, we're doing Dungeons and Dragons. It's up there with Visionaries in my memory. I think you know. the, it, there's some heavy lifting done by the fact that everyone here plays D&D. Well, it's sort of ironic as well, because just mm. like watching Dungeons & Dragons, and especially holding up to Visionaries, which was to sell toys, Dungeons & Dragons, the TV show, was probably trying to make people get into Dungeons & Dragons. Yeah, definitely. I only just started playing Dungeons & Dragons <laughs> last year. Hadn't you played with us before? Nope. Oh, really? Okay. Never. So, like, is it effective marketing, or is it, like, some <laughs> well, kind of slow-acting like, subliminal so message? I think, potentially, it, was, it would be effective marketing depending on what your social group's like. Because my social group yeah. as a child was D&D fucking nerds, beat up the nerds, fuck the nerds. Yeah, it see, wasn't I, until adulthood that I started playing d and uh, It was I was aware even. of uh, Dungeons and Dragons the game when I was aware of the cartoon. I, you know, I didn't realize that the cartoon was linked to anything else. Uh, okay, yeah. yeah, me either. No, um, I had no to idea. To be honest, if I think back, I'm probably, the sa- probably in the same boat as well. Because it, it was, you know, I think it's like 1983. D&D came out, yeah. it very much still reeks of 70s D&D ethereal essence. A lot of baggage attached to Dungeons & Dragons, the game, in the 70s and 80s. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, definitely. We can talk about the satanic panic, like my favourite thing. But yeah, I don't, I don't know how... I don't know if my parents would have been keen on us getting into the game based on the social panics and morals around it at that time. But the cartoon, we just weren't aware that it was anything other than a cartoon on its own. Yeah. yeah. I feel like I just came from like a Scrabble and, Scrabble and Monopoly family. Yeah, you know what same. I mean? So like board games were just board games and mm. they were really they were boring, boring games, yeah. frankly. Yeah. I mean, we were a hardcore Scrabble family because my gran was really into Scrabble and Countdown. Same. Uh, uh, but the thing that our family was, was cards. Yeah, same. Like Definitely. 100 up, Chase the Ace, fucking Gin Rummy, yeah, everything. Rummy, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like Cribbage. Car- yeah. yeah. We were Cluedo and Monopoly and fighting at the end of Monopoly. <laughs> Not just fighting just, in general. <laughs> just, yeah, we're, we're a UFC family. <laughs> yeah, but I have fond memories. But I do remember the kind of blue balls, edgelord feeling of Dungeons & Dragons because they're always about to get home but never able to actually like get through oh, whatever God, portal yeah, 100%. it was. And I think based off the end of the first episode, which we're going to talk about imminently mm-hmm. there's going to be a lot of episodes that are like chase where they're like we're ready to go find the thing and then it's never mentioned again yes oh yeah well i i mean we will talk about it with the first episode I was, I was massively surprised by the first episode actually in all so i had completely forgotten is that there is no origin episode the well, intro exactly this is the what I was about shittest credits of all I, this is what i was about to say 80s. is that we before we get into it we really need to talk about the opening credits because it does so much heavy lifting for this show yeah it sets up it sets up how they ended up in the world it introduces uni like there's no but how bobby acquires uni everyone. he just jumps it well i know but like uni especially because uni's of the D world and yeah. he like the intro to how bobby acquires uni is uni jumps into his arms during the intro <laughs> yeah. as tiamat attacks it's, yeah. yeah, and introduces Dungeon Master. I, I thought Master. there was going to be an intro episode. Yeah, I, yeah. So I, I was fully expecting it. I was it. fully prepped for the origin episode, and then mm-hmm. it's just like, oh no, it's just the credits. That does everything. It gives them their I weapons, even, it gives them their roles. Yeah. I even remember the terrible like little bit of music towards the end as well, yeah. being like poor quality when I was a kid. Yeah. And it <laughs> is still, I was watching recordings on YouTube, and it, it brings back these memories. And I was like, he was always a bit warbly and weird, wasn't it? Yeah, like the animation's very... 
like when I say it's got that seventies feel, it's because the animation feels like it's from the seventies mm. rather I than the I actually 80s. really love it though. Like the the hand hand painted background It's got like a they real nostalgia and, feel. Yeah. It it it, it yeah. really evokes some of the artwork from the original D D manuals. And like if you think about the cover mm. art for the original D D manuals, it really evokes that feeling, which yep. is really cool. Definitely really cool. Mm. And it's the Definitely. first cartoon we looked at that is just a pure high fantasy setting. Yep. I'm quite looking forward to revisiting that. And in terms of episode structure, it's probably some of the most simplistic. Yes, mm. it's much less busy than the Visionaries was, <laughs> yeah. which is good. Jesus. There's a lot less moving well, parts. No, uh, and actually, there is a Visionaries connection. Did you guys uh The recharging know? of the uh, weapons and the power versus well, the actually power that in episode, yes. Yeah. But <laughs> the voice of Sindar is the voice of Venger. Yes. Ah, cool. In this mm. as well. Um, <laughs> who... who who was also the voice of Car in Knight Rider, you know, Kit versus Car, that <laughs> yeah, episode. Yeah. Yeah, so like the, the voice of Kit was uh, Mr. Feeny from Boy Meets Feeny, World. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, without any more preamble, we shall kick it off with episode one, The Night of No Tomorrow. Dun, dun, dun. So as with, I think, all three of these episodes, we open in media res. So what I guess we can take from the credits, the opening credits, is that the gang have been here a while now. Mm-hmm. We don't know how long they've been in the Dungeons and Dragons world, but they're, they've obviously become very resourceful and very prepared to do pretty much anything to try and get home. Oh my God, sorry, I have one more yep. thing on the credits that I remember, and I keep banging this white power <laughs> drum. But did anyone notice the symbol on the cart that they ride Careful, in on? Like, no. <laughs> At one point, I thought it was a fucking swash sticker, and I had to pause and rewind it. But it's like a it's like a white turret, a crenellated turret symbol on the cart that they come in on. Okay, but actually, it probably isn't because this is the first thing we've watched that has some representation. It has women, yeah. females uh, doing uh, things, yeah. and it has a, a person of color. Like a person well, of color. A black we have person. to address what that person of color is wearing. Yes, yeah, that's I know, exactly. Diana well, at least they didn't make her the thief. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. The the one thing I will note in the the my notes for the first episode, I couldn't remember any of the characters' names, so I've just called them by their three letter abbreviation for their classes. <laughs> that's that's not gonna be <laughs> complicated to follow. Well no, because Thief are are mm. although his before we go in any further, one of the bone to pick is you have Thief and Acrobat, which are both specializations of rogue class. <laughs> I mean, I mean, don't even, because this is obviously from the 80s d d yeah. where they didn't even, they had Magic Man or whatever it was and fight, Fighting Man were like two of the classes. So sorry. Anyway, yeah. we are going to nerd this up. But sorry, yeah. Yeah. I so, interrupted. Yes. My, my yeah. impression is they've been here a while because they're always kind of in meteorized when the episode starts. There's already something already going on. And at the start of this episode, they are scaling a cliff with the hope that from the top, they can see their way home, which I think is a poor plan. Yeah, I mean... Which leads me to believe that they are desperate at this point. So again, they've or they've just not been there very long and not realized that this isn't part of their world. Very no, they, quickly, they it becomes clear they've been there for a long yeah, time. They yeah, definitely yeah. know the score about this world. They're not ignorant. They're Like I say, they're quite resourceful, actually, for a bunch of, of kids. <laughs> it's quite impressive. So they get to the top. What do, what do they see, Naomi, when they get to the top? A canyon. <laughs> they get to the top and they find a canyon and they start yelling into the canyon to create echoes. Bobby starts doing that. And so Bobby is the barbarian. For those who don't know this cartoon at all, I'll try and give a brief like flashcard point of, of the characters. Bobby is the youngest. He's the barbarian. He is Uni's bestie. Uni is a little lady unicorn. She's perfect. Hank is a tool. 
Hank is the archer. He's just your he's generic. The jock. Yeah, he's uh, just yeah. a generic jock. Eric, he's the leader. Yes. Eric is the comedy. Yeah, he's the he's the rich boy brat. Well, they say he's a what was his class? Because it's a paladin, but not by name. Cavalier. Cavalier, but it's basically paladin. And shouldn't he have a horse? If he's a cavalier. Yeah, that's why yes. it's more powerful. Yeah. Uh, Sheila is Bob's he's, he's your tank. sister. She's the thief. And we have Diana, who's the acrobat, who is our person of color, mm. who unfortunately is wearing a very kind of generic She's dressed jungle like a savage. savage outfit. So basically what we have is we have Hank is your DPS, Sheila's DPS, Presto. Is oh yeah, wizard. he's a wizard. We have Presto the wizard. Uh, he's a glass he's, cannon. He's, yeah, he's <laughs> most, mostly well, glass. To be, to be fair, he's more support. Then you've got your, you've got Oh, well, healer, I guess. Then you've got Eric as your cavalier slash paladin tank and Bobby as barbarian DPS. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So you've got a lot. It's a very DPS It's a strong heavy, party. Yeah. It's a very it's a DPS party, heavy Impressive. party. Like, they needed a bard. Yeah. So anyway, they climbed this mountain. They found a canyon. They're yelling and it's great echoes. Bobby is, is really enjoying this. And Eric mm. kind of tells Sheila to, like, collect your boy. And they, they all have... We get a little bit of kind of character building early on when we see these interactions. You know, like Eric, we can tell, is a bit of a spoiled brat. Sheila's very protective of Bobby, who is very young and reckless. Diana kind of casts doubt on their ability to get home. She seems like the kind of pragmatic one. And Hank is much more optimistic. So they're up on this cliff, yelling into the canyon, and Uni starts bleating. And this rouses Tiamat the dragon. It's quite funny because Uni's bleating into the canyon and expecting to hear her echo back because all the other guys are like making their echo. And instead of having her uh, like her bleating echo back, it's just Tiamat roaring. So we get Tiamat emerging from a cave and she's pretty salty at being disturbed. Probably explain Tiamat is a multi-headed. Yeah. Effectively, yeah. So her main body is a big red dragon and then she's got all the extra heads she's queen of the dragons i think we're told in a later episode bobby sees tiamat and immediately charges at her with his club because he's the barbarian he's, yeah he's using rage yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, sheila's kind of yelling at him not to because tiamat is indestructible apparently but bobby just gives no shits he's charging in there his club is raised he's gonna get eaten he's rping the role yes <laughs> very much so <laughs> Uh, and then Hank uses his energy bow to kind of shoot Bobby to safety. So now he get like these energy arrows that punches into Bobby's club and that shoots him out of the way. I, lo- I love the, you're in danger, let me shoot you. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a high DC role to shoot yeah. someone's yeah. weapon as they're running. It's crazy. And then we have Sheila using her power to distract Tiamat. So she, she lures Tiamat into a cave entrance and then she uses her cloak of invisibility and darts away and Tiamat charges into the cave. At which point Bobby, who is now over the cave entrance, uses the club to smash a boulder to block the cave entrance. Mm -hmm. So we're seeing a lot of how their powers work early on, which I think is good. You get a kind of quick rundown. Sheila immediately starts giving Bobby shit. Well, yeah, I mean, he did a really stupid thing. I think it's fair. It's just, it's just my note just says, Sheila gives Bobby shit. Trying to solo He is is like, I could have taken her though. He he is scrappy dude. (laughs) He's RPing, like you said, he's doing the RP. So they've, they've trapped Tiamat and then Dungeon Master appears to offer his congratulations. Dungeon Master is taking the role of the Dungeon Master from D&D. He's kind of this like halfling statured wizened old dude with Hulk Hogan haircut. Yeah, and he's, he's purely there to drive the story along. I think we're... And he- he introduces himself as Dungeon, Dungeon Master. Master. My yeah. name is, you know, Dungeon M- Surname Master. <laughs> he's not the Mr. Dungeon Master. Master. No, he's Dungeon yeah. Master. Master, Master, comma Dungeon. Yeah. So I, I don't know if the implication is that this is a role he has achieved. 
through a long no, time. No, it's just his name. His parents or... just unoriginally. <laughs> yeah. I think he and Venger are the same person. I know it's I never. Don't think I don't that, but yeah. I mean, very literally, his role is to drive the plot along every episode. You know, he'll pop He's up. Mini he'll Merklin, tell them something cryptic. Yeah, I, yeah, like he he does nothing but talk in fucking Leoric's owl yes, shit. Yes, my my note is Dungeon Master is Leoric's fucking owl. Um, he pops up. He says something cryptic and unhelpful at the time that someone figures out later. I mean, he's ostensibly he's a good character. He's on their side, but he he isn't really helping them get home in a no. very active way. I mean, well, it comes to the end of the third episode. And I'll talk about it yeah. because it's the end of the third. So episode. so he shows up and Eric starts badgering him that they need a straight answer on how to get home. And the dungeon master tells them to head to the village of Helix, where they might find something that could help. There's a lot of qualifiers in there, and he explains that Helix was once plagued by nocturnal flying dragons. Ravaged by dragons. Bit of an issue. Uh, and that, they need that's to... an erotica story, rather. Right <laughs> I'll make a note. Uh, they need to beware of, of Venger's many faces, and they will recognize his current face by his white hair. Could you run an erotic D&D campaign? I'm sure you could. <laughs> it must have happened. <laughs> I've got it. I've got that. There's some homework for after this episode. Uh, at this point, Dungeon Master out. He just disappears. He does this every episode. He he like walks around a rock and he's gone. And they're always like, oh my God, how does he do that? They set off for Helix. We get a bit of just a walking scene. Eric complains. Eric complains a lot. Yeah, that's his role. Yeah. Um, his role is to complain and make puns. And it's talk about funny, how rich though. he is. Yeah. yeah. And, and sometimes at times though, he is actually right, but everyone mm. ignores him and treats yeah. him like shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Eric's complaining about the walking. They're hungry. So Presto offers to produce some <laughs> magic burgers. So this is where we got a glimpse of what Presto can do he's a bad wizard he's a bad wizard <laughs> and instead of pulling burgers out of his wizard hat he conjures a live cow basically eric is verbal comedy presto is physical comedy yeah slapstick. definitely yeah and at this point they start passing signs for merlin's castle they sort of pass one they talk about merlin a bit they walk on and then see another sign pointing back the way they've come how fucking ostentatious do you have to be to have signposts to your own house <laughs> well, I mean, if it's a castle, it could be a tourist attraction. Either that or he's hosting a rave and this is how he's directing people. <laughs> It'd be like the worst if the Amazon drivers or whatever kept on showing up and just being like, yeah, could not deliver. <laughs> you know, yeah. House does not exist. House like, was in the sky. Come and pick it up um, from the post office. No, I mean, like an Amazon driver will just hoon it up the up into the sky, right? Yeah, like that's close enough. Yeah. <laughs> Ring the doorbell, leave it on the ground, and fuck off. So they're kind of they're looking around. Although they it's, could use the flying drones. Yeah, that, that could work. <laughs> um, they're they're looking around trying to find this castle, and Diana sees it's actually up in the clouds, and a suspiciously convenient magic ladder appears, which they they just decide they're going to go see Merlin. Basically, what they're the like, fuck? Merlin can help us go home, and they just let's leave you climb this random ladder. Uni can't climb it because she has no opposable thumbs. Like, um, so would she just you has to stay climb down there. a ladder? No. Yeah. Would you climb a ladder no. going into the sky? No. Hank, Hank is like, everybody, let's go. Yeah. Like, yeah. No, no. Something's Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm not one for cutesy moshy stuff, but Uni is fucking adorable. Uni's amazing. Like, genuinely yeah. fucking adorable. So adorable. I was so angry I'm that pretty... they left her behind. <laughs> there are dragons out there. <laughs> yeah. Just but like, I, like, my here. memories of Uni is actually, she's the one personal thing that actually develops as the story goes mm -hmm. on like mm -hmm. she's actually grows some extra powers and yeah. things and yeah yeah so they yeah they climb this ladder apart from poor uni and as they're going up hank specifically reminds everyone of dungeon master's warning about recognizing venger's face by his white hair well he's no he he says you will you will know your foe by his white hair yeah. he says nothing about face or anything like, he just but says yeah, know he your talks foe about by the many faces of venger yeah, yeah so he's so. like the many faces of venger and you'll yeah. recognize him by his white hair 
So I, I did I make a note that Dungeon Master had white hair as yeah. he was saying this. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't think that one through. Or did he? No, they get to the top of the ladder and there's like it would, a... It, it would have given the game away if, it, if it's one of asking to write that down. <laughs> <Come> <laughs> just, to, just so I remember, I want to take a memo. They get to the top of the ladder and there's a castle with like a, a cloud moat. There's no drawbridge lowered for them to cross. So Diana uses her extending staff to pull the ball across. It's the monkey staff yeah. from fucking Dragon Ball. <laughs> Diana is Chitara. Yes. <laughs> yes. And and Goku as well, yeah. I think. Yeah. She is like cuz actually like that I think this is by Toei, the animation company that actually drew Dragon Ball yeah. so they knew ah, they knew cool. how to handle yeah, yeah. extending staffs already. <laughs> cuz after she acrobats over, she opens the drawbridge. Mm-hmm. Bad design. Drawbridges are not supposed to open from the outside. <laughs> that defeats the purpose of a fucking drawbridge. Yeah, maybe that was a sign that things were not on the level here in this castle in the sky. So yeah, they anyway, they get inside and they're immediately greeted by this wizard with what appears to be white hair. And also he's carrying a white rabbit, Bunny. we assume. And they're immediately suspicious because of his white hair, but he shows them it's a wig. He takes off his hat and it's just a wig. So he's a bald... They're fine. It they seems, can trust him. If, if you reach a certain power level in D&D, you have to have Hulk Hogan here. Skull it. <laughs> the magic just affects male pattern baldness. I don't know. We never found out whether Gideon was bald or not, actually, but I assume he was. Yeah, yeah I would assume was finding so. something. Yeah. It's funny. I've made a note in my notes because I'm DM- DMing a campaign and I was like, I genuinely might use the white hair thing in a campaign <laughs> and see how it goes down. Brilliant. <laughs> It'd be great if someone remembers it. So they, they explain their situation to Merlin and he tells them he can't send them home, but he can tell them where they're headed, which I think is a bit useless because they already know that from Dungeon Master. But he just gives them an info dump on the village of Helix and claims The same he... info dump. Yeah, basically. He tells them about the dragons and says that he cast a spell that drove the dragons away. Actually, he does... This is very much something a kid would notice. He actually does refer to himself in third person. That's true, when yeah. He's yeah. Deli- yeah. He does say Merlin used uh, mm. a yeah. magic to rid them. Yeah. <laughs> so at this point, Eric is bored and he's advocating that they should leave when who crashes the party, literally... But Tiamat the dragon. Yeah, Eric just opens the door and Tiamat's <laughs> there. Uh, enter <laughs> the dragon, how- you might say. Oh. I know, I'm sorry. Uh, but yeah, it's just like she's paying a house call. Yeah. Although if you were a dragon and you saw like an old castle in the sky, yeah, you'd just go chill. Go loot there. it. It could be gold. Your horde. Bobby immediately charges Tiamat. <laughs> but Merlin uses magic to, to move him out of harm's way. And then hang- <laughs> in my notes I've written, what level is Bobby even? Like <laughs> to take on like a like a like a CR thirty beast, however, Tiamat's like god level. God yeah. What was it? No we idea. just had to le- leg it from the. Uh... Was it the Gorgon? Yeah, we had to leg it from. And that's Gorgon. nothing. It destroyed a whole this... village. Yeah, it's terrible. A lot of dead fish people in our campaign. Mm. Not because of us, which is unusual. Well, maybe a little bit because of us. Largely yeah. because of us. Yeah, they were warring yeah. factions, and we went and stirred shit up. Yeah, yeah, I guess it was because Classic. of us. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, Merlin uses his magic to move Bobby out of harm's way, and then Hank distracts Tiamat with his energy bow. It's While something they never, Merlin and the party flee. It's something they never tell you about D&D, but it's not a good D&D campaign without a bit of genocide. Yeah, I mean, just because every campaign that you and I have played in together has resulted in some <laughs> genocide, I don't think it's like a requirement. <laughs> I think you can have fun without destroying an island nation. Maybe one day we'll find out. Um, so Tiamat chases the party down into a dead end, and... The only option seems to be the dungeon from which Merlin says there's no escape. And we, we come to like a huge trapdoor on the floor, which is the entrance to the dungeon. They open the trapdoor and Presto conjures a carpet to, to cover the opening. And he conjures it successfully, which I think is worth noting. Yeah. Under pressure. That's yep. where yeah. it comes out. And then Diana lures Tiamat into the pit and they shut her in. They pull the rug on, from under her. 
They do. Exit the dragon. <laughs> uh, at this point, Sheila has acquired Merlin's bunny at some point. I think the bunny has just been passed around from person to person as they've been yeah. And she gives it back to, to Merlin. She's like, here's your rabbit. And he says, oh, it's not a rabbit. It's a hare. Boom, boom, boom. He and even says reacts. a white hare. Yeah. It's like he wants it's them so to know. It's like he's testing them. They're all just like, it's, oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, oh, you are dumb. <laughs> oh, good. I know the intelligence. They, th when they were rolling their original stats, they obviously all rolled a one on int. Well, this is why we're <laughs> yeah. charging it. Indestructible dragon goddesses. I, I'm I'm watching this with my partner, who also loves Dungeons and Dragons, right? And Kiwi for those uh, who are listening. And <laughs> basically, there's a party shot at this moment with everyone in, and she's like, "Fucking hell, Bobby is ripped." <laughs> He's like this little seven, <laughs> seven or eight year old kid. But she's right. He's like got pecs and yeah. like yeah. his arms are like muscly. Just like a little he's... dwarf he man. Little hench. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he is. Do you oh, remember man. young Hercules? Actually, that yeah, like creepy looking kid, man. Mm -hmm. Jesus, mm -hmm. that's it. Yeah. So at this point, they're having some general chat about Merlin, and he tells them that he's seventy years old, which is the age seventy years young. Seventy years young. Sorry, this is the age where he where a wizard looks for an apprentice to pass his secrets on to. And he offers Presto the job on the condition that Presto stays with him for the rest of his life. <laughs> Grooming. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then we cut to the party outside. Ye oldie grooming. Somewhere else in the castle. And they're, they're talking about oh, Eric is bitching that they need to press onto Helix. And Hank is saying they have to wait for Presto to see what choice he'll make. And they're all like, well, he's, he's come with us. Of course he'll come with us. And we then immediately smash cut to Merlin and Presto waving them off from yeah. inside the castle. <laughs> so is, is like an old man... Getting an apprentice, the 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 ye olde equivalent of pulling up with a white van and some sweets, definitely. <laughs> and it's a, it's a, it's a, it's such a sore boss offer as well, yeah. actually, isn't it? Because he's like, I I need an apprentice, but you have to stay here for the rest of your life. Yeah, <laughs> that's the deal. What? Speaking of sore boss, dungeon master reminds me of shriveled sore boss <laughs> from yes, that episode of Dreams. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> They so, do mention the gang. The gang do mention at some point. I think Sheila might mention. She's like, "Oh, maybe it's because you make him feel bad because he's mm, magic." Yeah, this is the, the next thing we see so. them. They're kind of walking through the wastelands without Presto, and Sheila says it's their own fault because they made fun of his rubbish mag magic. So they've been um, there a while. Yeah, long enough that they have in jokes. Yeah, basically, I will say they don't learn anything from this episode because they no. continue to always make fun of his rubbish magic. Teenagers, man. Yeah, can't mm. teach him shit. So we're back with Presto in Merlin's tower and we see Merlin making a potion and saying that he, well, he, he says two seemingly unrelated things. First, he says that they'll have to deal with Tiamat and then he tells Presto without any real prompting. The answer to all his questions are in his No, he is prompted because he says we have to deal with Tiamat and Presto goes, how do we deal? How are we going to deal with Tiamat? And that's when that's right. and Merlin Merlin's says, like, well, all the answers to all questions are in my book. My omnipotent <laughs> And then his omnipotent apprentice parody. Yes, yes, yes. Because Merlin then leaves. <laughs> he wanders off with his white hair in arms. And Presto immediately goes to check out the book for Spell to Get Home. Hair in arms. Is that like a... a you know, like man at arms, kind of a, a <laughs> rank for. Just a really buff. <laughs> a rank for woodland creatures. Like Yojimbo. <laughs> so, yeah, Presto thinks he's found the spell, so he starts gathering ingredients. But when he completes the spell, it actually creates a dragon, <laughs> which is pretty bad. Uh, so creates Presto, multiple dragons. Yes. Uh, presumably, I mean, we see actually that these are the same dragons that attacked Helix. Presto runs to Merlin to ask for help. And Merlin tells Presto that he, he, he says he switched the spells. And the only good magic could undo Merlin's spells and release the dragons, so he had to mm -hmm. trick Presto into fulfilling that spell for him. Further confirming Eyepatch's daughter original thing of 
this it's, Fletcher. <laughs> it's it magic can be evil it's not just the person that wields it presto is very confused so merlin just has to reveal himself to be Venger, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's like Merlin's been dead for a thousand years, yeah. fool. And Presto's like, but you're right here. I'm doing, you know, Venger takes proper sashes in. Venger, Venger, when he reveals himself, is all sparkly and shit. Yeah. so he, fabulous. Like, I forgot yeah. that he's he's wearing a, a dress, basically. Yeah. He's so goth. It's amazing. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it really is. I, I want to cosplay Venger at some point. <laughs> Great. With his single horn. He's yeah. Like, what a guy. Yeah. Venger is the best character in the show by a long uh, sorry, margin. You're forgetting about Uni already. <laughs> no, no. Venger's still better than Uni. And like Venger's ongoing war with Tiamat is brilliant. I love it. Yeah, I love <laughs> After that. only three episodes, I'm starting to question Venger's motives already. Like that's how fascinating <laughs> a character yeah. he is. He, he, well, we see a little bit of it. He takes Presto's hat and says he's going to add its magic to his own. And then we see the dragon. He's like the Borg. Yes. <laughs> he's gonna add your unique magical <laughs> assimilation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So we see the dragon setting for Helix, and then we go back to the, the main party, and Hank is talking to the mayor of Helix, who is explaining that it's the anniversary of the dragon attack, and it's like the, you know, the big holiday mm. day of the year. Is is that a day you want to celebrate? I wouldn't like have the thought last so. time they were horrendously attacked. <laughs> I wouldn't have thought you thought. Yeah, like it might be a bit. Actually, you want to celebrate the day that the dragons were banished. The day of rather, it's the liberation yeah. day. You know, it's like how we celebrate VE Day, right? Yeah. It's the end of the war, yeah. not the the the, the fact that they were attacked. But um, it's the last attack. That's what they're celebrating. The last attack. Yeah, because not, well, no, you know, we celebrate the last day of the war. Attack? Did they? I guess. How well, no, because they, 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 they were like, that must have been the last attack. Well, surely Merlin would have told them. <laughs> Mm. Or, or do you think Merlin just showed up, banished the dragons, didn't say a word, and fucked off? I mean, they just realised a few case. months later. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what? There's not been many dragons lately. <laughs> it's like we can't put a specific day on it, so let's just do the time we burnt. They burnt down the pub. We yeah. have a barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's hope it's a summer summer holiday. So Hank tells the mayor that they were sent to find a clue about getting back to their own world. The mayor doesn't really care. We just cut to the rest of the party joining in the celebrations. Like Bobby's playing baseball basically with rocks in his club. And we see the girls getting their fortunes read. And then the fortune teller sees the dragons in her crystal ball. The, the most generically stereotypical yes, she's fortune very, teller. Yeah, she's very gypsy stereotype. What's her yeah. face from Hunchback of Notre Dame? Yeah, she's very Disney <laughs> fortune yeah. teller, actually. Crone-esque. Yeah. With the accent as well. At this point, Hank is telling the mayor about how they met Merlin. He's kind of like, well, at least we got to meet Merlin on our way here. And the mayor tells him Merlin is long dead. And I don't know if he says that he died after he got rid of the dragons, or did I? No, he yeah, just he said something myself. like that. Yeah. Mm. So maybe that's why they didn't realise it happened. <laughs> Merlin couldn't tell them. Merlin croaked. Um, so then the, the dragons return, they start attacking the village, and Diana says they should go for go get Merlin. And, oh God, this fucking exchange. So Hank is like, I don't think that was Merlin. And Diana says, but he looked like Merlin with his white rabbit. Like, this is some historical fact about Merlin. Everyone yeah. It's like, Merlin has a white rabbit. Like, all the myths portray him as such. And then Hank, the penny finally drops, and he's like, that wasn't a rabbit, that was a hare. Well, no, Sheila, because it was Sheila who Merlin said, no, this isn't a rabbit, it's a hare. Sheila goes, it wasn't a rabbit, it was a hare. Oh, and then they all Hank. go, funk, <laughs> face palm. Hair. Collectively, yeah. Don't Collective face palm, yeah. We see the dragons attacking, they're burning the villages, setting fire to the thatch. <laughs> The dragons have the most emo metal scream as well when yeah. they arrive. Like, 
And Hank tells the mayor he has a plan, but they need horses. And the mayor is like, yes, go to the stables, take our horses. So you see the party then just leaving the village. This is my theory already for episode one, that they've been there for at least like six months to nine months. Mm. Because it it takes a while. Like all of them know how to ride Ride a horse. horse. It's not an easy thing to do. That is not straightforward. And this this world, obviously, that's the main Mm. transport. I can understand Eric, because Eric is a rich boy, so he probably has horses. Yeah. Uh, maybe others. one of the girls is a horse girl. Yeah. Not all of them. No, no, no. no. I can't see Bobby being into horses either. So I don't know. He loves uni. Yeah, but uni's a unicorn. That's not just a horse. <laughs> a unicorn is just a pretentious horse. No, it's not. Oh, my God. Oh. No. <laughs> we'll talk about it later. <laughs> we'll revisit this in later episodes, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so they head off on horseback with the, the plan to save Presto and get him to reverse the spell. Uh, cut to Presto alone in Merlin's castle with the hair, just moping basically, like he's pretty down in the doldrums. The party find him. All the so, doldrums. Yeah, we have to assume that the magic ladder is still in place. And Hank tells him he has to recast Merlin's spell. At which point, Venger. Why arrives. is the ladder still there? Just in case. <laughs> Maybe Venger thought they might come back Wait, for Presto. Venger should have just pulled the ladder up because then they'd be fucked. Yeah, yeah it's like fishing. It he, he used the bait. He got. He got the catch, he got the hat, just bring the ladder up. Mm. Yeah. Svenja comes in and he demands their objects of power. And Bobby starts thumping the floor with his club, which causes basically a book avalanche. So they're in a, they're in a library, a book avalanche. <laughs> and there are just shelves of books all around Venja and Shades of the Vase Lanch. From episode <laughs> two. Very, very quickly wow. buried in books, which I think Hank observes won't hold him for long. So they they flee into the castle with Venger in pursuit. And we have Hank and Presto heading for the spell book with everyone else under orders to keep Venger busy. Uh, at which Eric, the party in yeah. episode one, though. At which Eric quips, what do you want me to do? Tell him jokes. Or he could try. <laughs> Maybe that's what he needs, you know? Well, as we find out later, Eric's jokes are terrible. That's true. He has bad jokes. So Sheila tells her party she has an idea. Uh, we see Presto preparing the spell and kind of, you know, anxiety, panic attacks over and not working because he's such a shit wizard, but Hank's giving him the pep talk, like, you know, I believe in you, you can do this. The rest of the party are working to free Tiamat because she is the one thing that Vendra is afraid of. So they've gone back to the dungeon entrance to to set her free. And she basically arrives just in time and Venger immediately bails upon seeing yeah, her. Because Venger has Hank and Presto cornered. Yeah, he does. Yeah. yeah. I can only assume Tiamat is hunting Venger because she was just outside the door before when they opened the trap door. She's like, fuck it, I'm coming out. And she goes straight for Venger. Like, mm. Well, I, like, I think it's a, a bit of a back and forth because mm. in a later episode, Venger is actively hunting Tiamat. They just don't yeah. like each other. Yeah. I, think that's, I think they're basically the two... The kind Godzilla of e- and King Kong of Well, I think they're just... They're yes. of equal Let power levels. They're of yeah. equal power levels, so they're vying for supremacy mm. of the dark. I like it that you have two not good characters who are enemies to each other. Yeah. You know? yeah. I mean, Tiamat's kind of antagonists. neutral. I think she's pretty equal opportunity in who she goes after. Yeah. But I like that you have the enmity between her and Vendra as a dynamic. I think it's really cool. Yeah. So Vendra is driven away, and Presto successfully completes the spell. Mm. And the, the dragons attacking Helix disappear. And we then see the party on the ground and Merlin's castle is drifting away. <laughs> <laughs> Did you, like when Venger, Venger got away through a classic dark storm secret door in the wall. Yeah. <laughs> and to, cha- to chase him, Tiamat just she walked just walks through, through the wall. <laughs> she doesn't even have to pick up speed. She just walks through. <laughs> yeah, no run up. Just <laughs> <laughs> Presto realizes his hat is still in the castle. And he's like, oh, I'll never get it back. Oh. And at this point, Dungeon Master appears with the hat. Just gives it back to him. And then mm-hmm. immediately vanishes again. You know, doesn't offer any help or congratulations or anything. He just goes. 
So the party decide they're going to head back to Helix, where Presto can be celebrated as the hero he truly is. I think this this is where it establishes the running gag of Eric. I know it mentioned mm. it at the start of the mm. episode, but Eric is constantly annoyed that Dungeon Master appears and disappears yeah. at random and stuff. Which is fair. And I was like, hmm, absentee father, possibly? <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, spoiled really rich boy, daddy issues kind of make sense, yeah. yeah. So that they're setting off the parties on horseback. They say that Presto and Eric could share, but Eric wants a seed of his own. So we end with Presto conjuring him the cow from earlier in the episode and laughter ensues. Yeah. <laughs> Eric credits. says something along the lines of like, I don't ride anything that gives milk. Yes. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> what kind of life rule is that? I mean, like, He's that not having sex mammals. with pregnant women. I'm pretty sure female horses <laughs> express milk. Yeah, if mammal, all mammals express milk. He needs, mm-hmm, yeah. he needs a dragon. They express it in the form of dance. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. uh, Yeah. So, and a kind of surprising start. I expected like an introductory episode of their Mm. first arrival in the in the Dungeons and Dragons mm. world. I don't even know what it's actually called. Faerun, I guess, in real life. But yeah, I was quite surprised. I was a little yeah. disappointed, actually. I was. And I, I don't know if it was just because, you know, I'd seen the opening credits so many times, it was drilled into my mind that there was an origin story because I remembered the credits. I don't know. But yeah, I was so sure there was an origin episode. But I there actually... is at the beginning of every yeah, fucking episode. Yeah, well, yeah, episode. I mean, you get the recap, don't you? It's like yeah. fucking Batman's parents being killed in the films. I'm like, oh god, I had no idea. I'm on retros- in retrospect. I think it's better not to have done it because having them start, like I say, in media res with the kind of the knowledge and the resource and the understanding of the world means things can move along a lot faster mm-hmm. than when you have to have them encounter. I, have, I also time and figure them out. wonder if it was a bit more of the marketing ploy to leave all that kind of stuff a bit more open-ended to try and encourage people like, oh, I want to know more about this part of the world. I'll go and buy the D&D box. Yeah. Yeah. I think as well, so. it reminds me a bit of the, the Choose Your Own Adventure, the fighting fantasy books that mm. always just start immediately. Like, you are in the port city of Blackhaven. It's full of pirates. You have to go and find the pirate. And it's boom, yeah. boom, boom. It just gets going. I'm pretty sure there was a syndicated... Um, fighting fantasy with Dungeons & Dragons with these characters yeah, from, it, from it, Dungeons & Dragons yeah, as, as I, it was, the show. It wasn't fighting fantasy it was actually the classic choose your own adventure. Oh cool. Oh man. Yeah. Mm. But it's uh, yeah just yeah it was weird and like another we seem to pick all the early 80s cartoons that don't have the moral message bit that quite <laughs> a lot of 80s cartoons had. Mm. This has nothing. No. You know, no takeaways which is for early 80s I just have to say that is actually super surprising this is when in... parents groups were like big in, well, did that come in came later in little... when the rules changed well, no, about you know shows must be educational I thought that was more of a 90s well, it's, thing no no it's definitely Reagan era stuff because He-Man yeah. had it that's true He-Man definitely did He-Man was yeah, like the main progenitor yeah. of it yeah. exactly like it, mm. it was the 80s that started mm. it it just and, and, and this was quite violent I guess hey uh, they talk about death and you know it has some like a lot of the same perils of dungeons and dragons that cause the panic about dungeons and dragons you know it's got demons it's got yeah the actual it's got danger. kids who can't get home and stuff yeah mm. that's scenes of mild peril or whatever mm. it is <laughs> So yeah, right. So we get on to episode two, The Eye of the Beholder, which another classic Dungeons and Dragons like enemy, isn't it? Yeah. Like that's your mid-level party. Battle, Hell, it's even like one beholder. of the first boss like boss things you fight in Magicka. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah they will it's just over, such right? a classic. I've, I don't know why in my notes, but I've written some of the stuff that they say when they go into the tunnel at the start of <laughs> hey, the Hey, look, credits it's the Dungeons like, and Dragons like, ride. Wow, wow, neat. Give me a break. <laughs> oh, yeah. I like this. And so I was like, I don't like this. Yeah, exactly. It's like, uh, this is a non-consensual Dungeons & Dragons ride here. <laughs> How many parties of teenagers do you think this has happened to? 
Oh, his what, business in their world? world? Filled, like, <laughs> yeah. bands of teenagers. Did they establish the trope? Or... <laughs> <laughs> so good. Uh, like just a one-up visionaries. Feyrun in this uh, universe has four sons, yeah, <laughs> which yeah. are shining down on the party at the start of this episode, and they're walking across this kind of like desert moonscape, like like Nevada or Utah, I imagine yeah. to be, but a lot more grey, right? And they're saying it's like a hundred degrees in the shade. I um, I will say it's really nice to see some trees throughout these episodes, mm, though, because yeah. <laughs> we've been like, episode one started with a fucking canyon. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, the party kind of just sit like take a break and sit down to rest and while they're doing that uni goes off and investigates like this digging sound after getting pelted by a bit of dirt back at the kind of party eric is kind of humble bragging about being on safari once and getting lost and it being hotter then and they're like oh my god what happened <laughs> he's like well i just called my dad got picked up by the go- gardener in the golf cart <laughs> yeah. in his backyard he was yeah. on safari oh, and they were like in africa and he was like no no backyard <laughs> Active imagination. Yeah, how rich is he? Yeah, and Hank, the leader, obviously is like, right, we need to press on and we need to go towards the setting sun, which they've been doing for days, I think they say. Like, they've been told by Dungeon Master towards the setting sun. (laughs) Yeah, which like, the sun sets. So how do you keep... It it basically, effectively, Dungeon Master told them to walk in circles (laughs) or wait wait until after lunchtime. Wait until it comes up again and then start heading towards it. Well, no, I guess... No, because you could... Like, you could... From sunrise, because you you know the opposite direction to sunrise is where it's going to set. So as soon yeah. as sunrise is happens, just telling them to head walking. west. Yes, in a really like unnecessarily convoluted way. Assuming you know. west is where the sun sets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, but at a certain point, that's going to switch around. Though, like once you get halfway around the world, <laughs> I don't think that's going to that switch. <laughs> what what is west is very yeah. deep. <laughs> so yeah, there's a point though where Eric that's a, starts, that is like, a callback to a very early episode of Rambling Stoners. <laughs> Wait, oh really? Yeah, where I didn't know. Yeah, well, I didn't know I'm, I, there was a whole thing between me and Ian. I'm like, but which way is east? Is it left or right? Like, and I meant like you know, if you're looking at the face of a compass, is east left or right? But like, east is east. I'm like, no, but is it left or right? <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah eric's like eric actually starts like diss hank a little bit and challenges leadership and he's like oh we've been going for ages let's go in a different direction and and hank's like which direction and, and eric completely like gives up basically he kind of yeah. falters on it and just as he does this giant scorpion beast starts piling out and like charging towards them <laughs> And it cuts to this kind of chubby, mustachioed knight that hears the party like shouting and screaming, running, and he's like, egads, and he runs away to hide in a cave. But it turns out, like the party also kind of run past the cave he's in. It turns out a giant blue dragon is in the cave he's in. And so he quickly makes his escape from the cave. Second dragon of the show already. Living up yeah, to his name. It's very Not had that dragon. many dungeons. It, it, one can say it's... Double dragon, dungeons and double dragon, <laughs> double dragons. <laughs> Jesus. So there's a, yeah, there's a crossover bit. He's hiding in his cave. The party run past. They go hide in like a smaller cave, and he comes out. And basically, what he effectively ends up doing is luring the blue dragon towards their cave, and he accidentally ins- instigates this kind of kaiju battle between the dragon and the giant scorpion while just him cowers, cowers the in the middle. <laughs> yeah, just simping hard. Like, <laughs> oh, it's so funny. And the the fight's over. They kind of like, the fight just becomes a walking battle and they yeah. disappear over the horizon effectively. And Uni comes out of the cave and kind of rams him up the arse with her, with her horn <laughs> to stand, stand him up just before the party comes out. And they kind of look at him and they're like, oh, 
the knight saved us, right? So they're like, oh, how can we repay you? What can we do for you? And he's 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 immediately like, oh, it's all in a day's work. Mm. You know, like, <laughs> oh yeah. Everyone's super impressed. And I think there's a the joke of the moment is like Presto's like, oh, is there a school for what you just did? And Eric's like, yeah, a knight school. school. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. So turns out his name is uh, Sir John. He is the official protector of the village of Pinbreak. He's a battler of beasts and demons. So he introduces himself. Uh, the dungeon master just randomly appears behind a rock. <laughs> From behind a rock, sorry. And <laughs> this is setting up the long-running joke that I think is going to be in every episode where Eric's like, do you always have to do that? And dungeon master's like, no. <laughs> I think but dungeon master, but he I think does every time. Dungeon master just doesn't like Eric. No, exactly. I, I think he's evil. Like, honestly, yeah, I, I don't yeah. trust him. He's at best. Yeah, too neutral. So I, I like, he's the kind of DM that always critical roles behind his but shield. As I, as I said, he's, <laughs> just he's doing yeah. <laughs> DM's job of driving the adventure forward. You know, every time there's a break in the action, he appears to be like, oh, head towards the village of Watsit and look for the magical thing over Bob. So that's a great segue because that's what like, I call my penis. Actually, having sent the party walking for four days west following the setting sun, he's like, oh, I think I found a way for you to get back home. It's far to the east. Yes. <laughs> this was just busy work. <laughs> so what's happening is like, it's in the Valley of the Beholder and he kind of shows them it in, a, in an orb and they're like, it, it's it. It's a hideous place. They're all like, this is disgusting. This has been a consistent thing. Wizards have fucking orbs. Yeah, TV or orbs. <laughs> no, like, Venger has capo vision, which yes. we'll get to. <laughs> but wizard, yeah. so we had, obviously, the fucking Liberty orb stone thing. Yes, yeah, and um, Sorboss's mind TV. Yeah, and Merklin's orb. I guess Sorboss's TV is orb-shaped. Like, his head is orb-shaped. It's the equivalent, I think. Yeah. It's sort of satisfying, isn't it? But you would think it would be like a crystal more yeah. than an orb because like spheres are not naturally occurring in as no. many places. Like oh, maybe they, I mean, they, they got do, a crystal they, they and polished it out. But, but yeah. it looks magical. Um, crystal balls, right? That's yeah, the, the... exactly. So he shows this hideous environment and he explains that it was kind of once a beautiful Nirvana type place, but the Beholder came who arrived from the underworld and made it a hideous place. And he also says that the Beholder is guarding the passage to their birth world. Mm-hmm. and Dungeon Master's like don't just meet they're like oh we're gonna meet that guy and Dungeon Master's like don't just meet him beat him <laughs> like <laughs> defeat him or something <laughs> and then he throws out his like classic riddle much like visionaries everything's like in like a little bit of rhyming prose here isn't it and he's like sometimes by looking back you can see a clearer path ahead and remember only beauty can beat the beholder which I missed a bit of actually and the whole bit later on made no sense with the with the flower, with the flower. <laughs> <laughs> so spoiler alert so they turn around obviously and start heading east but but actually they've already learned from the previous episode even because as soon as dungeon master gives this little tidbit about looking back bobby starts facing back the way they came and was like looking around and uni uni's like looking between her legs and mm-hmm. like down through her legs to see where and he's like i don't see anything apart from sir john who's walking away at this point and Hank is immediately like, well, Sir John is the answer to yeah. the middle. <laughs> there can be no other possibilities. <laughs> yeah, that, like, he's that way. It must be him. I think Hank's just trying to shirk his responsibilities. Yeah. He's just like, like no, nah, I'm, not- I'm done with this. I'm done with this. Sir John, over to you, mate. He's faking it to make it, basically. Yeah. So they start tracking Sir John. They must roll well on nature or survival, whatever the DM chooses. Uh, Surely it'd be... Um, God, what's it... Uh, Con- investigation no there's no it's the other one that we've been having to roll a lot of when we were going through the underdark 
been so long since we played. I know. Um, well, we're playing again soon, but... Yeah, I think it's survival. It's probably no, survival. I'll, I'll check. And it's I'll like awareness or something. It might yeah. be awareness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it might be awareness. I'll just check. Mm-hmm. I've got D&D Beyond here. Anyway. Nice. So, so Sir John is basically in a... We cut kind of, I guess, a bit of time skip. Because Sir John is in a village square with everyone from the village there and the mayor passing judgment over him. They are massively unimpressed <laughs> with his skills and abilities as the perception of the village. It'd oh, be a perception check. Yeah. yeah. So they're, they're super unimpressed and they're basically trying to force him to retire. And his son's like, oh no, uh, not again. This is the last village like around. <laughs> <laughs> like He's just disappointed so many places basically being their protector. <laughs> and the mayor acquiesces a little bit and he's like, if you do one act of extreme bravery, we'll reconsider and not throw you out on your ear. So, like, the time and space thing, they, they end up tracking Sir John, and he must have walked through this, but they find themselves in this kind of mushroom forest, which is really cool. Yep. Very, like, Feywild-esque, I guess. And some evil red eyes are watching on, and this kind of a noise brings the party to a halt. Everyone rolls initiative. Yeah. <laughs> it's combat time. Exactly. Presto casts light. Um, yeah. But uh, for RP flavor, instead of a torch, he summons like a, a birthday birth- cake <laughs> with candles. And it does briefly kind of illuminate these mollusks, which look a lot like, like Darkstorm. Dark yeah. Totally, yeah. And like, they do kind of shy away from it briefly. Yeah. The candles go out, so they start approaching again. Hank uses his bow, but instead of offensively, he starts casting fireworks into the sky mm-hmm. that intermittently lights up, but that starts to also stop working. And the snails start to like capture the party using these kind of spider strands almost yeah like it's almost like chameleon um, tongue yeah do you, yeah do you remember those toys you used to get that were like the the gooey thing the on hand the, on, yes you saw yeah. them against the wall yeah, yeah. yeah. like gak like gak yeah, gak, but yeah. solid well like. yeah and you could like slap it against stuff yeah but they basically end up sacking the party don't they they yeah. catch them one by one and they end up sacking them my note literally says like the party were captured by dark storms <laughs> So yeah, many <laughs> really scarily close to Darkstorm. Arguably more used than Darkstorm got of his actual mollusk form. Yeah, a lot more. Yeah, and more of them. Yeah. So <laughs> there's a moment in the bar- in it, uh, like where Presto says, powers that come and go in the night vanish these snail things from my sight. <laughs> sight and yeah. immediately a bucket appears on his head. <laughs> yeah. Which is just brilliant. Like, I love that. Because technically it did exactly yeah. what he asked. Yeah. One quick addendum was that the reason the candles went out is because Bobby sneezed. That's right. Um, Uni's mane tickles his nose or something, yeah. isn't it? And he sneezes and blows out the candles, yeah. Jesus. At least I hope he wishes for something. They sort of, every time there's like a battle scene, they all get a turn. It is a bit like yeah. D&D. Like Diana tries to like, I think she tries to basically pole vote through the mushroom canopy to like make some light shine in. Yeah, exactly. So I, I assume her aim was to kind of break through the canopy with her pole. Yeah, but she's caught midair, <laughs> immediately put into a mm-hmm. sack. Bobby tries to hit the mushroom. It's funny actually, because I've never seen my party when I'm DMing try and attack all of the scenery but never try and land one hit on the on the aggressors <laughs> like they're all trying to do something to the environment like that's such not that's a non-linear thinking two sessions ago we were in a fight that was in the underdark and we were being attacked by spiders and one of the notes that our dm mentioned was that the ceiling was covered in spider web so i took a flaming torch and threw it up there and immediately killed like Eight spiders. Yeah, we were supposed uh, to get. It was we were supposed to, be like to get captured, and battle. I fucked up the entire thing <laughs> by killing them. Yeah. <laughs> See, I, awesome. I'm one of those guys that I'm like, okay, what's the the most unconventional thing that I could do here that might actually be beneficial, <laughs> and then how can I fuck everything up for my party? Nice. 
Well, so so last barbarian standing, Bobby tries to swing his club and hit one of the mushroom trees again to create light, but he is also caught. And as he's getting dragged in, he's like, Uni, Uni, you have to go and get Sir John, you know, go and help. He needs to help us. And the the snail things kind of like start to slime her, but they kind of grab her horn, I think, and mm-hmm. she manages to break free and escape. And they get taken in like a sack train, basically, yeah. to location unknown. We cut to Sir John, who is now walking through the the shroom jungle, and he's he's kind of like talking under his breath about how he needs to like feed his son effectively. Yeah, like, he's like, I, I can't need, afford to lose this job. He's, well, he's basically saying I need to perform an act of extreme bravery, but what? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> what pressure? <laughs> extreme bravery. He never thought about not being a knight and just doing a different. Yeah, yeah but you know, be a greengrocer. Yeah, yeah. Farmer. He delivery guy. <laughs> he he does look a bit like a ruddy butcher, doesn't he? Actually, yeah, doesn't he? yeah. <laughs> He's got that build. Much, yeah. So Uni comes out of the dark, bleating, and he kind of cowers in panic. <laughs> He's like, "Oh my god, get away from me!" But after a while, he establishes it's her. He holds his torch up, and Uni does like a lassie impression. She's like, "Follow me." Bobby's fallen down the well, a type situation. And in the end, actually, I think Uni nabs his torch and runs off into the dark and forces him to chase following. Well, what happens is when she scares him, he drops the torch. Uh, so, yeah. And then, yeah, she just grabs it and legs it off. Because he's yeah. a bit reluctant about even following her. Yeah. With, and he knows Uni because he did meet her from before. So a bit odd seeing her without the party. Uni, oh, I, I know throughout this that Uni throughout this entire episode is constantly giving Sir John side eye. <laughs> yes, actually, very much so. She already knows he's a coward, yeah. even from earlier, I think. I like... Uh, as much as I love Uni, I find it a bit disconcerting that they've anthropomorphized her bleating to be somewhat <laughs> language. Yeah. It's a bit disturbing. Like yeah. she actually talk bleats a bit. And it's yeah, up. it is a bit weird. I'm not down with that. Like, you know, it's too close to like goats and goats are Satan's. Oh, goats are great. Basically. Goats are amazing. No, terrifying eyes. Um, anyway, <laughs> even the goats. So, so John, that, even no, the goats. That, about goats no, even the, the goats. Goat that, that when you surprise them, they fall over. Oh, God. What about goat man? As long as they close their eyes. Um, <laughs> the only goat I care about is Black Philip from the Vavitch. <laughs> well, he's a really metal goat, isn't he? With like the yeah, exactly. yeah, curling horns. horns, yeah. So Sir John rocks up on the mollusk squad um, and he kind of starts to do elaborate torch poi the with his eyes squad. closed. That's a great um, And just by chance, him wafting his torch around kind of drives them back away and into their caves. And again, the party who now like free themselves in the sack think he's the fucking tits and that he <laughs> saved them. He, and he's still doing his torch poi shit. And Diana basically is like, ah, oh, how can we thank you? We haven't got much, but I've got this. And she 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 pins a fascinator on him, basically, a purple flower well, on she like pit, She on literally him. says, I haven't she got much. It. They, she they just, just picks it and gives it to him there. Oh, and then he's like, yeah. he could well. have done that himself. Oh, well, yes. She, yeah, she, she does <laughs> give him a kiss. She does. Plant a kiss on his forehead so mm. and says thanks. So Hank reveals that they were looking for St. John. And Eric mentions the beholder. I think... Diana, again, like, they simp to him, basically. They, they're complimenting his bravery, but Uni snorts, like, derisively. Yeah. I think that's one of the side-eye moments there, right? They're trying to talk him into coming with, basically. And he's like, oh, no, I need to go back and get my shield and stuff. And they're like, oh, no, Presto can can make you a shield. <laughs> and he basically summons forth what a trash can lid. Yeah, like, it really know, is. American bin. I really wonder whether... I've been to America it's, a bunch, and I don't see those bins it, everywhere. The though. only place you see those bins are in wrestling hardcore matches. Yeah, really yeah, slim. Exactly. Os- <laughs> yeah. Oscar yeah. the Grouch. Which is house and hardcore matches, yeah. basically. Yeah. <laughs> That's where it is. The music in the episode is starting to build up here, basically, as they're kind of begging for help to return to their own world. And eventually he agrees to join them. And essentially they just go on a trek. They, they find themselves on like this... It looks like it's a snowy mountain, but I think it's just the wasted wasteland of the Beholders area, basically. Mm-hmm. And Hank 
basically asks John, what, what's the plan? And he's like, uh, mm, uh, I don't know. Uh, you, you, you make the plan. Yeah. I'll, push, I'll push on ahead. Eric is in- extremely critical of this. He's like, yeah, but you're the knight. Like, you need to be making the plan. Like, And while the party are like having a little flap and he's pushing ahead, he he walks around the corner and Venger is there. And, and he recognizes Venger. Yeah. So Venger obviously gets about a bit. I, like, I assume Venger is just like a known force of evil throughout the land. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If he's as powerful as Tiamat, then... Yeah. Jesus, he yeah, must yeah, be well yeah. known. This is like the Curse of Stroud, Strad, which I haven't ever played the module of, but maybe he's a bit like that. And Venger basically threatens him. He tells him that he has to lead them to the Beholder and leave them there. And that's when he uses his uh, capo vision and he shows Sir John that he's got his son in a cage and he's basically surrounded by gnolls, like hyena things. Yep. His son is ugly AF. <laughs> his son Timothy looks yeah. like something from Fraggle Rock. Yes, like, yes he does. He's yeah, like proper squashed face. He looks like it, maybe Sir John bedded a halfling. Quite a lot of the people are hideous in this because the mayor mm. of the village looked a bit like T- Timothy is his son's name uh, as well. Maybe everyone, everyone's sleeping with halflings. They've all got it a thing for the little people. They're yeah, just yeah. It's, it's 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 basically legal pedophilia. And me. <laughs> halfling non children. They're just no, no, but the, you know they're the same stature. <laughs> Uh, so this is where we see the anti-uni. Basically, Venger mounts Nightmare, His which I fucking love. His horse is amazing. His horse is called Nightmare. It's the most metal thing ever. It is a Pegasus as well. It's mm-hmm. got flying. It's got wings. It doesn't have the horn. Black as the night. And well, if it's like got wings and a details. horn, it's not a Pegasus. It's an alicorn. Ah, uh, there we go. No, it doesn't have a horn though. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So it's just a Pegasus. Oh, isn't? Oh, I love it. Yeah, and he rides off into the sky, which I just love. Yeah. <laughs> Suddenly, obviously, Sir John is super keen to proceed and like push the party forwards. And they're like, oh, the party's like, oh, see, he is brave and stuff. Yeah, Eric, like, suck it, mate. You know, like, you, you, you naysayer. Um, Eric is a they, coward. He knows another coward when he sees one. Yeah, literally, like, the next scene, they arrive at the passage and Sir John's like, there it is. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> I'm leaving you. And nobody apologizes to Eric, like fuck. But the party decide to go on anyway, and they face the beholder, which immediately starts eye lasering them. Yeah, <laughs> just like pew 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 from all of its eyes. Should we like they're, they're, explain they're running what the beholder for cover. is? So, oh yeah, uh, it's a pentacled floating. Well, block. So the best way, the easiest way to describe it is if you've ever played Doom, the the big floating red thing with the giant eye. Imagine yes. that, but with additional tentacles with eyeballs on top of it. Well, the thing that was, Doom was based on it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It yeah. was effectively the bottom. Well, Doom, Doom was going to be a D&D syndicated game yeah. while it, during development, and they lo- didn't get the license in the end, but they just decided to rip off the Beholder immediately, <laughs> I think is the, the story behind that. The worst way to describe what a Beholder is, is the I and I Rastafari guys from Toxic Avengers. Yes. <laughs> but with tentacles <laughs> that also have eyes on the ends of them. Or the, uh, another simple way is every Japanese hentai monster ever. <laughs> the beta Very version true. of. Also, I had a game when I was a kid called Under a Killing Moon that was like a cyberpunk detective game. And one of the, like the end level, you were on a space station and these were the sentries around the space stations. There were just tons of Yeah, the, 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 the concept yes. of the Beholder is used in a lot of different things. If, even if it's not called the Beholder, that's... That design is very ubiquitous. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's tentacly, that's always mm. disturbing, mm. isn't it? Mm. So they're running well, around. Well, it depends what you're getting. Into. That's true, yeah. They're running around, <laughs> not one with lasers, surely. <laughs> so, so yeah, they're, they're in cover. The beholder's like zapping around them. And Maybe the ultimate Sir cat John, toy. 
definitely. <laughs> yeah. So John is like elsewhere at this point, like a little way away, and he's sitting there like ashamed. And Venger just shows up to rub it in his face, pretty yeah. much. He, call, he calls him a coward, a fool, but he does return his son to him. Yeah, which I thought was like quite and nice. And he actually, really. he actually says, "His son is brave. Your son is braver than you." As he fucking <laughs> rides off into the sky. But he he does say that as his son is there. Yes, yeah. and his son's like, "What does he mean, Dad?" <laughs> and they hear the cries of the party and basically his son legs it towards them and he's so John's like oh no no wait and and follows after them so the beholder at this point has kind of caught them in these kind of energy tentacles i guess very similar to the darkstorm mollusk tentacles yeah, from he's, before he's hentied them that's that literally my note and was like smash back smash cut back to the team who've been hentied by the bowl. hentai hog tied <laughs> yeah <laughs> and so John arrives and actually to his credit, he does actually charge in, like, with some bravery, like, <laughs> yeah. with his son there, I guess. And the Beholder uses its giant eye eye laser to shoot at him, and he uses the the, sh- the shield made of the, the bin lid to protect himself yeah. and everything. The team, while they're being captured, are all like, how can he fight them with that shitty shield that Presto gave him? So it's like they knew it was bad when it was started out. <laughs> yeah, and this, is, and this is the point where the next Dungeon Master bit comes in, mm-hmm. uh, that beauty is in the eye of the Beholder, and it's basically the flower, essentially the purple yeah. flower that he's wearing on his chest as he's close to the beholder like kills it yeah Diana, like, Diana just goes beauty the flower Sir John show it the flower and he just holds it up to it and he, he just, just goes oh shit this flower yeah it's, it's you know that that iconic thing of the uh the hippie putting the flower into the rifle of the protests <laughs> it's <laughs> like the ultimate version but of it that it does raise the question of how the beholder turned this once Paradise-like Eden into a wasteland. If it can't, I'm going to go flowers. for lasers. <laughs> <laughs> Did it? But how does it shoot its lasers if it it's blindly? It just closes its eyes. But it has to open them everything. to shoot. Oh, that's true. Can I you see know. through maybe, laser beam? Yeah, maybe it's, maybe it's like Scott. Maybe it's like Scott Summers, and you know he can't see when he's shooting. <laughs> Scott <laughs> Summers is the fucking worst. <laughs> I love it, but it's such a. It's a very non-Dungeons & Dragons way to beat quite a yeah, yeah, animal, yeah. really. Yeah. Um, but if you set up, you know, the riddle, yeah. I guess, that it yeah. works. And the Beholder melts away, and immediately behind it, a portal opens back to the home world, which looks really weird. It looks like the iris of an eye, actually, like a little bit, like a blue iris with the... It's always the fairground, isn't yeah. it, in the background, back to the At fairground. Least it's so I'm assuming it's a time travel gate as well, because, you know, yeah, the fair presumably. can't be there all the time. Mm. Um, well, it, it might not be a fair. Maybe it's a uh, an amusement, actual, park. amusement or, park. Yeah, maybe or I was thinking more. It, it, do you know what it gives me the vibes of? Blackpool Pleasure Beach. <laughs> nice. I can't think of an American equivalent for our mm. <laughs> uh, Coney Island. This, yes, actually, mm, yeah, like yeah. a downtone one. Because it, it's not like Six Flags. It's not no, like no, it's it's, it's like Coney Island. That's that's yeah. yeah, that's fair. So the party kind of jump into the edifice, the opening of the portal, but not all the way through. And they're like, Hank's like, we've got to go. But Bobby's like, what about uni? And Hank it, like just says like, well, she needs to stay here with Sir John. She's not from our world, which I thought was like awfully harsh. Mm, yeah. And ep- episode two, they've basically established a reason why they will never go home. Yeah. <laughs> like, Bobby will never They're leave already uni. emotionally attached to uni, right? Yeah, so like, and- unless she dies, they're not leaving. Well, I, I also had the thought of like maybe uni would die if she transitioned into the other world she like have a pretty shit time and, i mean, uh, I mean would, she might just not have her magic stuff well her i mean might just fall the off, worst you know? case scenario you just chop off her horn now nah, you can't chop off a unicorn's horn why 
because they're unicorns. They need them. Yeah, but if you ha- if the choice is chop off her horn or she gets taken by the government for scientific experiments and torture. If the last unicorn has taught me mm. anything, is that you should just let unicorns do their own things. And yes, but you could blag. No, you could blag her as they lose a their innocence. You yeah. could blag her as a deformation. Regard <laughs> what part of you does not think some, if nothing else. Peter would get involved, and then your life's a fucking nightmare. No, I mean, I, I, yeah. yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with you. I think you, you would have a rough time on Earth. But you can I just also... do what we did with rhinos and stuff. Though you can just cut it off. Yeah, and imagine how much money I... you would make on the erectile dysfunction market. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like genuine unicorn horn. Anyway, I, I, I remember this from a kid, and from mm. when I watched it in, in my teens. To that, this was a reason why they didn't leave. But I thought it was much later on. Like to establish mm. this so early basically means they're never going to leave unless Bob. But really, they're really still dies. always looking for a way home, aren't they? So they must yeah. Yeah. think that they can persuade Bobby, or that they can bring you. Uni- yeah. but they've, they've had this whole traveling period to get to this portal mm. to discuss Uni and whether Uni's going to come with or not. And Hank's like right on the spot; she's not coming with us. Yeah, like who made him the boss? <laughs> I mean, if I was Eric, I would have gone. I'd have just been like, "Yes, mm-hmm. yeah, see ya." Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Got the hot dog. Even like Diana and Sheila. Like, I mean, Sheila could just drag Bobby in, right? He's like, yeah. mm-hmm. I know he's like barbarian strong, but you know, <laughs> there's always a way. Yeah. Like this is enough. This this could split the party, is what I'm saying. And that's dangerous if you're a DM. But anyway, semantics aside, like v- Avenger appears <laughs> and starts attacking <laughs> Sir John, who's using the bin lid against like the lasers that he's throwing. And the party stand on the cusp and it's slowly put closing. The the bin lid disintegrates. Avenger's about to like deal a, f- a finishing blow. And basically the party join in an attack. So Bobby yeah. kind of causes a rock fall. Presto magics up a horn. Yeah, uh, I think it causes Nightmare to kind of bolt or buck mm. in some way, basically. And Eric, who was, who was the last man standing in the portal, actually goes like, oh, for God's sake, okay. And he rushes in and puts his shield up just in time to stop like yep. the laser blast, the chromatic orb or whatever it is that, that Venger's casting towards him and saves uh, Sir John and Timothy. And then just out of nowhere, Venger is hit by this kind of red blast of magic. Which is never explained, but he's like hunted into the stratosphere, (laughs) effectively. (laughs) He just disappears, zooms off into the distance. Yeah, it is sort of covered, but not really. Yeah. It's implied really heavily it's Dungeon Master right at the end. But so the beholder slime that was on the floor kind of just seeps into this crevasse and the land immediately regenerates. Crevice. No, it's a crevasse. It's a big yeah. one there. You can you yeah. get your legs stuck in it. Yeah, so like grass grows, trees and flowers bloom. Immediately. Everything comes verdant as fuck immediately. I mean, it's a land of magic, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And once again, the party are like, hey, Sir John, you're the hero. <laughs> Diana, once again, like batters Eric for not thinking Sir John was like brave and a hero, even though he definitely was. And then Hank makes a joke about Eric being scared. Eric's like, oh, no, no, I'm not scared. And he sits down on the horn that Presto cast and makes the noise. He jumps up and it's all, ha, 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 Eric, you fool. Which I think was um, the real reason that that, that horn came into being. It yeah, wasn't yeah, anything yeah. to do with the fight. It was for the, the punchline of the show. That's it. And then as the party kind of walk off, it cuts like to a scene where Dungeon Master's basically sitting next to this like little waterfall and he's like chuckling to himself. Mm-hmm. Is it this the end, one yeah. or the third one where Dungeon Master says something about how it's you know, the their reason it, being it, It's what I was talking about before, which, yeah. 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 Cool episode. Yeah. We I liked like all one. of these episodes, actually. Yeah, we get a lot of transient characters throughout these. Throughout, I think it, it's consistent throughout. There's NPCs are important, mm. basically. Yeah. And this is the best one out of the three, I think. Other than Venger and Tiamat, I can't think of any reoccurring characters off the top of my head, but I don't remember it that well, so we'll see. 
There's the, the, the shadow ghost. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Trying so nephew. hard to remember shadow his demon. name. What is he just shadow called? Shadow, I kept thinking Shadow Weaver, but that's Shira. No, it's just Shadow Demon. Yeah. 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 So, third and final episode for this installment, we have the Hall of Bones. I was well up for an undead encounter here, but I yeah. don't think it particularly happened. No, it does, but not for the not for the not for the team. Yeah. So we open up on the gang running through a creepy forest, being chased by what at first seems to be birds. You just see like talons and claws trying to grab at them. It's then shown that they're kind of like flying monkeys. And that we find out their name a little bit later on. One of them grabs Uni and starts flying away with it, away with her. But Bobby knocks down some trees, which hit the flying monkey and free Uni. Hank then goes to shoot the monk, one of the flying monkeys, with his bow, but it it fizzles out and just doesn't work. <laughs> He's having performance anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> then Bobby's club starts to kind of like short out and doesn't have the power. Lastly, Eric throws up his uh, his Lexor. <laughs> shield uh like dome shield and that protects them for a brief while but that that starts to fade and fizzle out as well the male impotence is strong yeah <laughs> basically in this episode the team then just decide to leg it and they make a bolt for the tree line this is this is in my opinion this is what no dnd party ever does <laughs> when, when, when out, out of spells yeah oh we're out of spells Let, let's back off and retreat no no they just go into physical con- combat yeah exactly i punch the gorgon yeah <laughs> these guys need a long rest is what yeah. i'm saying you know like they know that too <laughs> so yeah they they like it for the tree line the flying monkeys follow and we hear some noises going on and then the flying monkeys fly away with bobby's hat and they just kind of discard it we then cut to Bobby's hat lying on the ground and it pans over to see like a log floating out of the water, which turns out to have Uni, who's been hiding underneath it, and it f- continues to pan left. And we see the load of stro- like blowpipes sticking out of the water and the team suddenly emerge. So they, they hid underwater, breathing Ninja through, strategies. But- yeah, so, yeah, 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 this is what I mean about them being resourceful. Like you can, you can tell they've had a lot of similar encounters already <laughs> because they know just yeah. what to do. <laughs> As they get out of the water, they all start bemoaning about their, their weapons not working, and they immediately just assume that Venger did it, and it was Venger's fault. So they say they they say they need to get out of there before Venger starts working overtime. <laughs> so weird. I don't think he's on the clock. No. We then actually cut to Venger, who's on a cliff in his full saw boss pose, just looking out over a cliff, watching the team and talking to the shadow demon. And the shadow demon's reporting that this we found out they are simian bats. So good. <laughs> it's like, no, no, no. Not like flying flying mon- monkeys got taken by the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> yeah. They can't call Simeon them that. Simian bats. <laughs> it's amazing. The Shadow reports that the Simian bats have failed, and Venger says he will just deal with the kids himself. So, point of order here. Is Venger a vampire? I know he's Andrew in the day, but he's got wings, he's got pointy teeth, he rides a black horse. I think he's more of a demon. Yeah, I don't think there's any. I get more demon vibes than vampire. vampire. Yeah, I think I get definitely stronger demon vibes than vampire. What they need to do to test it is throw a handful of poppy seeds at him and see if he stops to count them all. That's how you get vampires, (laughs) because they've all got OCD, according to the legends. Mm. Not according to Buffy, though. It's Buffy. The legends of Buffy. No, it was a thing. It's an Eastern European thing. Yeah. You could keep them in the grave by scattering seeds because they'd be compelled to count them all and it would stop them from going anywhere before sunrise. Mm. Oh. Now you know how to uh, keep vampires away, kids. Never mind garlic. Or, I mean, I, th- I still think a steak is the most... My uh, contention about garlic is that something that lives in a coffin is going to fucking stink. It's not going to notice garlic. 
Also, they're all like Eastern European, which is like prime garlic country. Yeah. I don't, Anywhere I don't in Europe is prime garlic. the garlic thing comes from. No. It's probably like uh, eating spinach, you know, like Popeye. Maybe. Mm. They just had loads of garlic they wanted people to eat, so they make it like, oh, it kills bad things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Garlic it could be kids. a regional. Yeah, it could, that could be it. Well, I mean, garlic is really good for you. Hmm? Right, we've become an educational podcast. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so we cut back to the team, and Hank is kicking fruit out of a tree. <laughs> They're scrumping. <laughs> yeah, they are. It's like this, it's like this golden-looking persimmon-type fruit. I don't know. It's it looks like a pumpkin. Well, it's I, like an do apple, you know what it looks like? Pumpkins. It just looks like a bell pepper. Yes. Uh, yeah, like orange. An orange bell pepper. Yeah, or golden bell pepper. Mm. And Eric's got one, and he's like, oh, this looks really good. And then Uni just takes a bite out of it from his hand. The team are still bemoaning the loss of their the weapon, their, the, the power of their weapons, because, you know, a club is... Completely useless without the extra power. <laughs> the club actually does shrink in size, to yeah. be fair. Just as they're, they're, they're kind of like, you know, oh, woe is us, woe is us, what shall we do? Dungeon Master appears and he starts taking a look at the weapons. And there's been like, Bobby's just like, oh, they're out of batteries, they're out of batteries. And this is where we get their, uh, you have to go to Merklin and recharge your power staffs moment. <laughs> Yeah, it's like you've got to go up and I'm like, Iron Mountain? Are they going to Iron Mountain? (laughs) No, they're going to the Hall of Bones. (laughs) Yeah. So Dungeon Master says, yes, you need to go and recharge your weapons. Bobby's like, see, I told you it was batteries. And he tells them they need to go high into the mountains to the Hall of Bones, which is a giant tomb where the world's greatest heroes are buried. Can't be that great if they're dead. I mean, everyone's got to die eventually. Yeah, I know, but, you know. Oh, to be fair, flashing forward a bit. Making jokes. Their ghosts do look old. (laughs) Sorry? I said flashing forward a bit. Their ghosts do look old. Yes. Do ghosts age? Well, no, but if you're old when you die. No, no, I'm just wondering, though, maybe in this world ghosts age. Maybe. Who knows? What is age? (laughs) Sorry, this is like the Wise West thing. Like, what is age? (laughs) What is West? Yes, they do, but they don't look older. Mm. (laughs) So, he says that wrongly, I might add, he says that in the Hall of Bones, there will be a scroll that they can use to charge their weapons. Are you sure he doesn't say skull? I thought he said scroll. I, I think he says there's a skull of power. Okay. I thought he said scroll of power too, but I think it was skull of power. Maybe well, it was definitely then. a skull of power. It definitely, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's from He-Man shit. So they asked Dungeon Master how they, they're supposed to get there. And he says that you will need someone to guide you, but they will want payment. And then uh, he leaves one last parting cryptic clue, which is, when in the darkness, look to the light. What does that even mean? I, like, just Turn t- on the light. If it's dark, don't look at lights, because that ruins your <laughs> night vision. Or is he just saying, if it's dark, turn the light on? I don't know. I mean, it, it's... Th- it sounds like Jesus preaching to me. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's no more useful than the, the, the fucking visionary owl. It's fortune cookie bullshit. Yeah, it really is. So... The party head out. The next thing we see is they're in this kind of like busy hamlet town. Side quest. And uh, we see like a, a juggler and a Punch and Judy a show. And I'm like, oh, sweet, Falcama's back. <laughs> <laughs> he's upgraded to actual puppets. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's practiced his routine in the dungeon. Yeah. Right? He's ready for Broadway. <laughs> <laughs> and Hank says that they may be able to hire a guide here. And Eric's like, with what? We don't have any money. And then Eric's like, but I tell you what, I will perform for the money. And he's like, roll up, roll up, prepare to be entertained by the great Eric. <laughs> he rolls a nat one on charisma. <laughs> yeah. He's like, oh, if these guys can be entertained by two little, little dummies, and then Bobby's like, then one big one should be fine. Like digging in at Eric. 
So Eric gets up and starts to do the worst stand-up comedy routine. You've, I mean, it's like Blackpool Tower level one-liner dad jokes. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a level below dad jokes, though. The joke that he tells is, how many dwarves does it take to change a light bulb? None. They can't reach. They aren't troll enough. They don't yeah, even have see? light bulbs in this world. No. <laughs> like, the team collectively facepalm at this. And then Eric goes on to start another joke, which is about a dumb barbarian. And there's a giant barbarian off in the distance who hears, and he's like, what about dumb barbarians? He's like, nothing. They were great and smart and amazing, and I love you. <laughs> and just posses out. And the crowd just start pelting him with rotten food. The next thing is pesto. They, they ask pre- pesto. Pesto. <laughs> <laughs> it's because he's green. Pesto, the chef wizard. <laughs> they ask pre- and also everyone's got normal names apart from Presto. That's What's true. His even his name? name. No, even his name in his own world is Presto. Apparently, according his to par- Wiki, his parents have got issues. Was this uh, nominative determination or <laughs> just bad parenting? <laughs> Maybe they're maybe they're carnies. This is what I said. This is why they're. I'm going to pull a baby out of this vagina. <laughs> presto. <laughs> <laughs> so presto, they asked presto to see if he can conjure up some money. If you could do this, it would break every D and D campaign. You ever. can't actually do this. <laughs> no, you can't. Either. You can't at all. There's a bit where he's like, I don't know if I can do this, and Hank is behind him, and Hank just goes, "Try." <laughs> <laughs> it's like fucking hell. Right. Hank has got some proper jock issues. But yeah, he, he tries and fails and pulls a chicken out of his hat and then a dragon, which incidentally was the same dragons that he saw in episode one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love how quickly he shoves it back into that. It's good to see a callback, though, actually. Yeah. I didn't expect that in this. But the crowd are entertained by this and start throwing money at him. It does cut to a couple of shady beastmen taking note of this, but yeah, nothing this, comes this of it. This confused me because they, yeah, they exchange yeah. very shady looks, but, but yeah. I think the implication is just that they're enjoying themselves because yeah. you see them in the crowd watching in the next scene and they're just having a good time. <laughs> After he's finished bosking, the next thing we see is the, t- the team heading into a bar or a tavern called the Dragon's Tooth. And this is a hive of scum and villainy. And Eric's like, if there's gonna be a, a, if there's gonna be a guide, he'll be hanging around here. This is Moss Eisley. It and is. It is even has I forgot what they're called, Gamorian, Gamoran guards from Star Wars. You know the pig-like guys that Jabba the Hutt's yeah, guards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are fucking in this. I think they're supposed to be like oh, half orcs or goblins. Maybe, maybe. yeah. As they en- as they enter into the bar, we get like a little bit of a panning shot, and Eric approaches these three kind of lizard men that are sat yeah. around a t- table asking if they can be a guide. Bobby's like, "It'd be help if we found someone that speaks English." He's like, "No, they speak money. It's fine." And they immediately start getting hostile at him and backing, like you know, coming into attack. And he sh- he just pulls out the bag of money. He's like, "Hey, look, I've got money." So the entire tavern just goes, <laughs> just like. All eyes focused on fucking Eric, at which point the mob is just kind of closing in and Sheila throws this giant sack of what appears to be money into the crowd and they're like, yeah, yeah. And the team leg it out. And as they leg it out, it turns out the mob are chasing them anyway. And Eric's like, why are they chasing us? We just gave them a giant sack of money. And Sheila's like, no, that was bottle caps. Where did they get a giant sack of bottle caps? Maybe Presto produced it by accident. Maybe, maybe. So yeah, not established. <laughs> no, not at all. Oh, it was Hank that threw the money, not Sheila. Devil's in the details. But as they're as they're running, they end up running down a dead end. And as they're kind of fretting on what to do, sinister-looking waifu appears holding a torch. 
kind of goth, kind of hot. Like, yeah, you would. Yeah. Um, Pseudo Egyptian headpiece. Type yeah, thing yeah, on. yeah. And I can't remember if it's Sheila or Diane is immediately like, she's got a torch. We look to the light. She's the, the person that Dungeon Master sent to help us. Like, oh my God, you did not. I think don't. she's very noticeably, visibly coded evil, right? Yeah. You know, with the, the black she's and Venger, the red outfit. She's Venger scale, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's Venger sheet. Yes. <laughs> They're just like brilliant. They obviously, they obviously shop at the same fashion clothes shop. Well, he probably issues fashion clothes. clothes shop. That's where I get my my <laughs> Sends apparel. Sends out a little circular telling people, "Here, I'll give you your Avenger starter kit." You know. Yeah. So she leads them down a passage, and they're like, "Hey, so who are you?" And it's like she asks who she is, and she turns around and says, "I was sent by a friend." And Hank goes, "A friend?" And like you thought it was Dungeon Master. Why are you confused? <laughs> but at this point, the woman turns around and reveals, "I re- I noted it for my note says a lizard face, but that's not what it turns out to be." and immediately drops them down a pit and they land on like a spider web so it's a spider face and then the next thing vengeance avenger appears above them is like you can't get free and even if you did below you is a bottomless pit it's weird that the bottomless pit is a glowing blue orb mm. yeah and if it was bottomless you wouldn't see anything yeah exactly <laughs> especially a light yeah <laughs> and he sends in the simian bats to take their weapons and then he says he's going to leave. He'll take their weapons, and he leaves their bodies to Loth, the, the demon queen of spiders. And then the woman kind of just transmogrifies into a full-on giant spider. The spider's hair is hair metal as fuck. Yeah, just to avoid goth oh. hate mail, it's actually Loth, L O L T H. Oh, okay, <laughs> Loth. Well, yeah, she's basically got Alice Cooper's hair. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> definitely. <laughs> So she starts she starts climbing down the web towards the team and uh, Hank tells Uni to use her horn to cut the web which she does and Loth falls falls down and starts falling down the bottomless pit that clearly has a bottom but as she's falling she manages to shoot a single strand of webbing from her leg she's that's got spider-man not- web powers <laughs> yeah. yeah I was like that's not how spiders work mm-hmm. Not in our world, but who knows? Anyway, she starts climbing back up, but Uni cuts the webbing further, uh, makes her fall, and Uni's about to fall to her death, but Hank kind of grabs her at the last second and saves her. Uni then cuts the rest of the team loose so they can escape, and the next thing is lizard face. The next shot is just the face of a lizard. <laughs> That's really <Yeah>. confused me. <laughs> <laughs> and then it cuts to show the back end of this lizard just drinking from a, a, a lake. It's just a cave lizard, isn't yeah. it? Basically. Yeah, it's just an just, establishing shot. Mm, it's very George Lucas. <laughs> and then Eric's complaining that they're lost in an endless cavern in a world that they're already lost in, which I made me... They're never about. truly lost, are they? They're never anywhere. Yeah. So. <laughs> At which point, I think Hank's like, oh, it could be worse. Cue earthquake. Yeah. Shut up, Hank. The earthquake opens up red cave vagina. Yeah. Giant glowing, <laughs> giant red glowing gash. And then I noted here, red for danger, uh, girls. What? <laughs> boys cartoons for boys. What, what's the uh, girls bit? Just the, the gash is red, uh, glowing red for danger, you know? Like girls. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway. I've seen your gash, it glows red. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Oh, you were angry. <laughs> <laughs> and you wouldn't like to see it when it's angry. <laughs> oh, this is not a podcast for kids. You've made a lot of penis jokes in this episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's true. Mm. Well, it's good news, though, because the gash is good. <laughs> yes, it is. It's good. Well, kind of good gash. It leads them out. Bear in mind they've gone from a cave, fallen down a pit. They're now on a mountainside. Yeah, that's how geography works. <laughs> Maybe it's like, you know, old volcano caldera or whatever they, was the pit. 
let, let's just take a moment to appreciate this geography. They were in a town, chased down a back alley, led into a room, down a corridor, dropped into a pit. They're now in a cave system that has come out on a mountain. Where was this village? This sounds like a perfectly normal fantasy scenario to me. <laughs> exactly, yeah. When I, I just think the level time and space is relative. <laughs> I think the level designers were smoking crack. <laughs> but anyway, as they appear from this cave, who who should greet them but Tiamat? Tiamat making horrendous screeching noises yeah. flying around, right? Maybe that's just what she does on her downtime. So they, they kind of recoil from Tiamat into Venger, who's... And it, what it turns out is that Tiamat and Venger are having a pitched battle. Which was great. I love it. Yeah, it, it was amazing. What these two do. Yeah. <laughs> they Matt. have lives outside of the Dungeons & Dragons crew, you know? Yeah. <laughs> this is when I was starting to question what Venger's methods are and motives are, because like Tiamat does seem to just be constantly chasing Venger, mm. and Venger's just interested in pest control, effectively. <laughs> yeah. Is all this just, <laughs> like, he's just a way to he's deal with Tiamat? Yeah, maybe he wants the power just to rid... Yeah, because... Yeah, mm-hmm. What it turns out we, fi- we find is, so we see Venger shoot Tiamat, and Tiamat's like, ha, you're weak. And then Venger uses the weapon, the power, the weapons of power that he's collected from the team to create like an uber Kamehameha at Tiamat. And the team notice that they're using the weapons, and Eric's like, oh, well, at least we'll have less dragons. One of the most, but our weapons don't work. And then Presto says, great, we'll have a few less Vengers. <laughs> 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 and then they're like, yes, but also less weapons. And then Venger proceeds to twat Viamat uh, Tiamat with the weapons, uh, like a power blast from the weapons. And it seems to work at first, but then Tiamat's like, bitch, please. And just shrugs it off and charges back in uh, Venger. Uh, Venger's like caught off guard by this and discards the weapons of the team and basically legs it. <laughs> Because Tiamat's on his heels. Right yeah. <laughs> he's pissed off Tiamat and he's like, okay, no, I'm out. So the teams slide down the kind of, they scale down the this cliff face and get their weapons back. And then they start saying, we still might need a guide to get to the Hall of Bones. It's like, could you just ask for directions? Do you need a guide? Yeah, you know? I mean, anyway. If it seems like it's probably a fairly famous place. Yeah, if it's buried with the heroes of Vior there, you're going to know where it is, right? As as the team set off in search of a guide and the Hall of Bones, again, it pans off to the side and we see that the shadow demon, shadow monster, whatever it's called, has been listen, uh, listening, into the, listening into their conversation and knows that they're looking for the Hall of Bones and that they need a guide. So as they're wandering through what is now a nice verdant forest, what is the fucking topography of this land? <laughs> They're down in the valley now. <laughs> so They're supposed to be up a mountain, though. You're right. Yeah. Like, what are they doing? So well, they do need a guide because they're lost immediately. <laughs> it's very true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So they, as they're coming across, they they wonder. They basically come across a floating head. Of, it's so uh, terrifying. Yeah. They're like, hey, nice to see you. And he's like, we can't see you. This guy makes himself visible and introduces himself as Hector the Halfling. And he says that he is a guide and he knows where the whole of Bones is and he will take them. And they're like, well, what do you want in payment? He's like, oh, your company is payment enough for now. And Eric's like, well, I like his rates. Yeah. No NPC ever charges <laughs> nothing in it. No. D&D. They then have to traverse a canyon because I think is is it Eric is like oh the not so grand canyon yes yeah <laughs> he's seen he's seen his fair episodes of Jace yeah <laughs> and as they as they're walking through we get this uh, are we there are we there yet more moment I don't I didn't notice the joke note the joke I just noted 
Eric has all the jokes. <laughs> That's, yeah, he's he's the yeah. comedian of the group. But just as the team, they're basically getting kind of done with Hector. They're they're pissed off. They're like, this guy knows fuck. We are so done. They arrive at the Hall of Bones, which is... Castle Grayskull. Castle Grayskull. That's, yeah, exactly It's metal as fuck. Bear in mind, not two minutes ago, they were in a verdant green, and then they were in a canyon, and now it's it's Prismos Sky. Yes. Like purple sky, doom lightning, yeah. doom metal, co- like black metal cover, this rickety really, stone bridge. Yes, yeah, yeah. Precarious or as Bobby bridges. describes it, gnarly. <laughs> it's gnarly, <laughs> yeah, that's it fair. is gnarly. So yeah, they have to cross this long, basically, bridge of Moria-esque yes. thing. And Hector's urging them on and urging them on into... They, they they cross the bridge and they enter into the, the Hall of Bones through the mouth of the skull, as is the way with skull castles. As they get in there, there is a giant glowing skull in the middle of the, the room. It's so metal, I love it. And Hector says, it's a skull of power. So, yeah, maybe it was skull, not scroll. Yeah, so they're in... There's this big glowing fucking skull. And they approach it. And it opens its mouth with a creak. It's like... <laughs> it's like skeletal. So, someone says it's glowing with the powers of the, the heroes that have died here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like, wow, this is getting more This and more is metal. like the elephant's fucking graveyard. Like, the heroes go there to die. But doesn't the creak oh. sound like Skeletor? <laughs> <laughs> Hank's just like, well, put your weapons in them. Put, let's put our weapons in the skeleton, the skull's mouth. Fine. Why not? Well, I mean, that so, makes sense if... if they heard Dungeon Master correctly, and he said there will be a skull that can help you. <laughs> yeah, so they all put their weapons in the mouth of the skull, which does recharge them, because they pull them out and start testing them, and yeah, they've all got their kind of glow back. Hank draws back an arrow, Bobby whacks his club about, and then immediately Hank the Halfling... Hank the Halfling? What Hector. Hector. Hector, yeah, sorry. Immediately Hector turns into Venger and is like, right, I, my payment now is your weapons. This is the worst timing ever. Why didn't he just take the weapons when they didn't have charge? Go there. Go there. Himself, like, yes. Because he knew where it was. He knows about this place. He knows what it does, presumably. Yeah. He didn't need the them plan at all. Was sound. <laughs> I like, do need why, to take yeah. them. I do love that they didn't spoon feed, like, you know, it was enough for them to show the shadow monster overhearing and then Venger. We never had to have a scene where we explicitly show the shadow demon telling Venger what's going on. The no, scene yeah. that must have taken place, though, is yeah. shadow demon catching up to a knackered Venger who's just been fleeing from Tiamat. <laughs> and he's all like sweaty and he's done. And the shadow creature is like, hey, I have news. You shouldn't have thrown the weapons you away. You need to get down to that valley like now. Yeah. You need to pass off believable guide and make sure you're running away from them at all times as well. And also, that that is the one reason why he didn't do it because obviously he didn't know the weapons were out of power when he discarded them. So he the, he has to get them back from I the guess, kids. Yeah, that's the, that's why. Oh, so it actually looks yeah. If a dragon should have grabbed them when they threw them in the bearing skull. down on them, yeah. have trouble thinking straight. Anyway, yeah. so Venger Venger attacks. He <laughs> he shoots the skull in the melee that ensues, and it glows a bit brighter and then hank just goes hey everyone get in the mouth of the skull <laughs> yeah he's like this is what the dungeon master meant about light yes. i guess <laughs> yeah like like getting the light of a skull's mouth uh, just yeah <laughs> would you not be like are Stretch. you sure because last time we thought we had this figured out there was a demon spider queen and a bottomless pit and yeah. It, yeah. you know i mean either way it's a stretch of this is where it passes into Lord of the Rings territory. Yeah, yeah. The ghost army. Yeah. So as they get in, <laughs> as they get into this this the, this skull's mouth, we just hear the 
like the most stereotypical like why would mighty warriors go no, well, like the, a there's more man. There's got to be a pirate mighty warrior <laughs> yeah. somewhere. Anyway, it, what happens is like the, this: these ghostly forms swirl around the top of the Hall of Bones and then take a kind of form of all the the heroes of a bygone era. And they turn to the the team and like, your fight with Venger is concluded for now. This is our fight now. The team stay in the mouth of the skull, which transports them literally just outside the front door. Meanwhile, there is a full-on pitched battle going. Like, Venger tries to shoot the ghosts, and he can't because they're ghosts. And they're, they're like, in this, in the Hall of Bones, our power is supreme, not yours, Venger. And Venger's like, well, if the, this is your source of power... Time to call in the demolition squad. He just wrecks it. Yeah, so we we cut back to like it's starting to crumble and the the Moria Bridge is starting to fit like to disintegrate. So the team have to leg it back across this bridge. <laughs> they have to legless leg it. Yeah, <laughs> Diana even does a an acrobat at the la- acrobat pole vault at the last second to get across the bridge, and they turn back to watch the the Hall of Bones explode in a mushroom cloud. <laughs> yes. A, mush- a mushroom cloud, which then fades into an effigy of Venger. To be fair, it had it had it, like the the magical power to recharge their weapons, mm. which Venger knows or thinks is enough to make him able to beat Tiamat. So an A bomb mushroom cloud is pretty yeah. relevant. Yeah, yeah. Also, like I just found it really amusing the, that it was a yeah, fucking mushroom cloud. The image we get of Venger as it blows up is basically the old Batman signal. Yes, <laughs> and, and then he kind of pulls one of his wings over his over his face and turns away and <laughs> and then we just get a, one brief shot of all the ghosts of the heroes just ascending like no yeah they no, don't look too happy about no, it either. they, they just are their home yeah I, I think it's suggested that venger beat them by destroying the hall of bones yeah. but maybe was a little bit wounded and had to retreat at which point eric starts asking if they're ever going to get out of here. And the ending shot of this episode is pans over to the Dungeon Master, who's out of sight of the team, saying, when the time is right, my young friend, you will find the way. Which is like, you know how they can get home. Right now, you're being yeah. a dick. There's a part in the during or just after the Mushroom Cloud where I think it's Bobby says something along the lines of, but the recharge only lasts 300 years. Like, yeah, like well. that's a, that's a genuine So, like, concern. their weapons <laughs> need to be recharged again in 300 years, but the the two the thing is gone now, so they yeah. can't be. I still can't work out whether Avenger made a good or a bad call in destroying mm. the thing, because he wants that power, but that power was in the skull anyway, so couldn't he have done something with the skull other than destroy the fuck out of it? Like, you know, retreat, well, no, come I, back. Come I get- back with Ghostbusters. <laughs> <laughs> This was a much later later eighties cartoon, yeah, I mm-hmm. guess, but still, I bet one of the voice actors did something in Ghostbusters More in this show as well. Yeah, so that is the the start of our journey into the world of Dungeons and Dragons. It's simplistic, but it's charming. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's good. Yeah, mm. I enjoyed all three of these episodes. Yeah, yeah, like definitely. It, the, the fact that it is so simplistic and basic kind of makes it easier to enjoy. It doesn't try to get too clever and fail like Jace did. Mm. Yeah, I like what I mean. You said you've mentioned it a couple of times, mm. Nero, like that. It doesn't like it lets you build a bit of the world around it as yeah. well. It, it's not actually forcing it upon you and stuff. Like, yeah, it's, it does, it's testament to D and D, I guess, and yeah. how good D and D is that it's been going for this long. Yeah. Yeah, um, there's, there's a lot of material for the writers to draw on already, you know. So I think that mm-hmm. helps. You got a lot of established. I wonder if anyone's 
ever, anyone's ever run campaigns that follow or set in the oh very alongside that. the cartoon <laughs> where you actually come across like it'd be really fun to inject like hank and sheila and everyone <laughs> into a dnd yeah, campaign be great but not to not to obviously tell it like let the the, the party f- if they know the cartoon figure it out figure <laughs> out who it is and yeah. while i was talking before i i had a really cool idea for a, for a campaign which is standard dnd campaign but like halfway through inject borg <laughs> <laughs> You could do that with constructs or something, I guess. Well, no, I mean, because like, we've seen that the Borg can time travel and that from First Contact. Yeah. So you could actually, because, and also I was thinking about this, it could work because the Borg are all about technology. They might not know how to deal with magic. That's true. Oh my God, yeah. I you can't, they do with you can't modulate a phase shield against a fucking fireball. I guarantee it's been done already. <laughs> like, as a great an idea it is. I bet there's some, like, yeah. you know that there's some nerd out there. And if it exists, you nerd in the good way. Of- yeah, yeah, exactly. That's done this. Yeah. But yes, so that is D&D. Uh, it, it's a treat of a cartoon for people that aren't into D&D because it just is your typical like Saturday morning high fantasy japes. And watch the game, play the game. Yeah. It, 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 I think now watching back as a D&D player, I have a greater appreciation yeah. for it. Mm. Definitely. Definitely. But yeah, there's a, there's a lot more of this to come. So I hope you guys enjoyed it. Unfortunately, they don't have a, a, like a, a a call sign. Uh, they don't have a That's motto. Don't, no. We could just say red glowing gash at the end of every episode. <laughs> I'm going to vote against that. <laughs> I it's don't feel with comfortable light, with it. The light theme. <laughs> That's fine. Natural one. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, otherwise known as a pittock. We could just bleat. but yes we'll be back again with more DD shenanigans in the coming weeks and hope you guys have enjoyed that and don't forget to check out all our social media facebook instagram twitter and email the team at proteanramblings.com until next week some arbitrary sign off may the light shine forever lightning strikes (laughs) 